everybody, and welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is September the 27th, 2022. Welcome back, you big Bavarian bitch. Guten Tag. Ah, Prost. <laughs> Indeed, that's the extent of my German. <laughs> it is good to be back, man. It was a great vacay, but happy to be back in the States for sure. Nice. So you went, you did Oktoberfest. You did the thing. Man. Yeah, we, we did a whole bunch of shit, man. We were there for 10 days and we hit the ground running, man. Like we never really, we didn't really have much downtime other than the morning after Oktoberfest because it took me a little bit to recover. <laughs> I was nice. pretty... Pretty uh, messed up the night before. That was, dude, excellent time. Highly recommend uh, going to Germany in general. But if you can time it up so that you're there during like the 16 days that Oktoberfest is going on, do that shit because it was a party, man. Mm. It was a party. I, I can't believe the extent that they go to for just 16 days. Like there, I think there was like 12 or 15 enormous beer tents that look like permanent structures. That they put up, it takes them months to put up. They're up for 16 days, but they're printing money in those places, man. Yeah. They're packed to the brim. Was it like uh, a, a nice mix of a bunch of internationals, a bunch of foreigners? Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely was. It, honestly, though, it was not what I expected. I It was it was like a fair. It, it, like at okay. Fest, there are there's the tents that I'm describing where it's it's big ass. It's, a, it's like a one side is that and it's tents partying, people getting all kinds of fucked up. And then the other side is like a carnival, a family-friendly kind of thing. You can't drink outside of like the certain areas and it's it's games and huge rides and like all kinds of like street food and stuff. Not a ton of like German food, really. It's like, it was more like going to a fair. It was, it was hmm. really interesting. Uh, but then, yeah, you go to the other side, people are drinking, it's German food, restaurants. It's, it's kind of uh, two worlds going on at once there, but... Nice, man. Ever, ever since you see the movie Beer Fest, you kind of like, it's like the mecca of... Of beer, right? Like you want to go yeah. and yeah, <laughs> and celebrate and drink steins and get real shitty and loose and they serve beers by the liter, bro. When you're in the tents, you're you're drinking huge. That's, that's an ignorant amount of beer. It is. I drank I, I drank way too many of them. I think we went back that night. I drank four of them in in, a, in like an hour and a half, two hours. And just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And then so I imagine at that point it's not hard to uh, convince a bunch of strangers to expose their nipple for a picture. Oh yeah, that was the easy part. That's never hard, really. But when that was when, iconic, man. It was like the Last Supper. <laughs> oh, so imagine, imagine you're that. you're just I don't know, random weekday working away, and you just you get a, a picture on your phone of just a bunch of drunk men in a beer tent, and their shirt the shirts aren't off, but the nipple is very purposefully exposed. Oh yes, just absolutely. Up. Yeah, it was great. And the, yeah, iconic. that's funny because the time difference, because it, it would be, it was like maybe 9 or 10 p.m. my time, but it's like 1 in the afternoon here for you. Yeah. You're yeah. noon. Yeah. You're yeah, like, it was. this drunk asshole. <laughs> They're good for you. Oktoberfest was cool. It wasn't even close to the highlight of the trip for me, though, man. There oh, was wow. so much other shit we saw that was that was awesome. We The second day we were there, me and Sarah went and watched Bayern Munich play FC Augsburg, oh, uh, which is like another local team. and. Byron is obviously like the bigger team, but they actually lost to their rival. So it was like a, and we were at that other stadium, like the smaller team stadium. So the people were going nuts. That was really cool. See any fights? Uh, no, a lot of people talking shit. Do people are about it there, man. Like the, the chance they're doing the whole time during the match, jumping around, waving these huge flags. Like it's, it was 
so cool to see compared to just going to an NFL game and, and people just kind of sit there and you're cheering and stuff. But this was like organized, like they've been fucking with these teams or whatever for so long. They have like their own anthems and like songs that they sing. And, and it, it was, it was just cool to see the passion for sure. And then like the food, I could go get a beer for four or five Euro and I could get food, same with the food four or five Euro. And wow. Yeah. It's just stupid. It's how it should be, man. They're not trying to bust you a shit ton. So that was cool. Um, we went to Dachau concentration camp when we were there and I hesitate to say cool, but I'm very glad that I went to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was humbling. It was, it's insane that there existed as many of those concentration and extermination camps as, as there, there were like, I, I guess I always kind of just thought, you know, I mean, Dachau, uh, you think of Auschwitz, you know, maybe one or two more like the big names, but you, you never really realized like to the extent that the Nazis and Hitler were really doing this. Like they had a whole network of sub camps that fed into like 15 concentration camps. And then you had another three or four extermination camps where it was just going there to get killed. They weren't doing any work or anything else. And yeah, the skies of these places and, and just like the, the cruelties that happened there, man, it, it was just wild to see. And, and being that that's like a dark, dark part of, of my history on my, my heritage, you know, I'm almost 15, 50% German. Um, it's, it's something I'm really glad I saw. And, and, you know, can you, can you trace what, well, hold on before I ask this question, did you see the president of Iran kind of like maybe not denying the Holocaust, but maybe saying like, oh, we should look into it kind of thing. No. What? Well, they, they, so, so real quick sidebar, <laughs> Iran and, and, um, Israel do not get along. Okay. Iran hates the Jews. They just hate them. I don't know exactly why, but they do. And, uh, the, the supreme leader of Iran, we'll get into this actually here in a little bit. He was being interviewed by, I can't remember who, I think it was an American journalist on like 60 minutes or something. And they were talking about the Holocaust. And he was like, well, I'm not denying that it happened, but we should really look into it. We should really look into what happened, like this, that, and the other, like obviously just being like a complete prick about it. Yeah. And, right. uh, I just, I, I thought it was topical. Cause that's the first thing you, when I thought of when you, when you said, uh, about the concentration cap was this, was this guy talking about, and I, I think it's been a, uh, a trend, it's something that's happened a lot in Iran is people kind of putting a damper on the, the facts of, of right. the Holocaust. Uh, but in your, in your personal life, can you trace back any of your history to either like some like dark things or like some like escapism or any like stories from that era of history? Yeah. One thing I'll say about the concentration camps, bro, is, is that guy's a fucking moron. Like I stood in the gas chambers. I stood like in next to furnaces where, where people were turned to ashes right outside of them where they hung people right in front of them going through their barracks and yeah. seeing just it, it was the fact that humanity stooped this low it, it was like i said I, that's why i never say it was cool to go like it, it was right it was it was eerily quiet bro and there's thousands of people there and, and everyone's just like an all walking around so highly recommend it but it, it's not like a a happy thing but it's 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 one of the more informational things i've, I've ever done or and and something i'm i'm very glad I did. Yeah, and if you don't like, if you don't have the opportunity to go to Germany or to go to uh, that part of the world, there's a lot of different Holocaust museums in the United States. Yeah, but the best one, the most impactful place I've ever been to, 
in terms of like history or, or, or what's left the mark on me has been the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. And if you've never been to that, I'm sure it doesn't like compare to actually being in the, in the actual facility where it took place, but there's no way you could fabricate all that. I mean, like not, not that I would no. even give credence to that, that idea, but you go through something like that and, and I, I, I can, I can relate to what you feel, man. Like it's heavy. And yeah. just, I remember the one thing, I mean, there's a bunch, there's like eight levels to that museum, but I remember the one thing saying as you left, uh, on the wall, at the end was all the shoes. You walked into a whole room. The very yeah, last the thing before yeah, you yeah. leave the exhibit, it's a room and the whole floor, all the wall, it's on, all on the other side. It's all shoes. It's all their shoes. Yeah. And Ugh. it's just like, holy shit. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that, that was, I don't want to say highlight it once again, but a great part of my trip. I'm very glad we did it. Um, speaking to your point where your question, um, yeah, we were, we were able to trace back. So my grandma, her mom left Germany in the, like the twenties. Um, she was, I think like mid twenties and, um, we, we know like who her dad was and all that stuff. So we're able to trace back to my great, great, great grandpa, like as, is that's as far okay. as we have like reliable information on. And one, the best day to me that we were there is we went to the two cities, uh, in Southern Germany. They're about like an hour to an hour and a half west of, uh, Munich, a little bit closer to the, well, one is closer to the Alps, Ravensburg, more South. And then Ulm is a little more North, uh, that, so that those, those are the two cities my family are from. And we went to Ulm and that was really cool. We don't have a ton of info about the people like that live there, but we know limited stuff and we got to see the city. At least you're walking the streets, yada, yada. But we went to Ravensburg, which is where we know like most everything. And we were there with my mom and my grandma, who's that's the side of the family that was from there. Yeah. And we, we you know, we had an address of where our family restaurant used to be. Uh, so we were, you know, in that area. And I think we had maybe one other address, but really not a ton of information. And we're driving around when we get there. It's a bitch to park. I can't find anywhere to go. And we just keep driving, kind of driving around. And we finally find parking. And I, I look over. I'm like, oh, sick. That's a graveyard. I'm a big graveyard fan. Ask Pat and Alicia from when we went to uh, Europe before. I love stopping at churches and graveyards, bro, because they're like so well preserved. And you just, for all the stuff that changes all around them, those kind of always stay the same. So you can like learn a lot from them and, and whatnot. And it's Not to mention cool. the necrophilia. <laughs> but so, so we for park, we park finally, we find park. I'm like, oh, sick. Let's go check that out. We walk in. I'm like, man, this is awesome. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this isn't like a huge city. There's a chance like some people of our people could be here. Like, who knows? Yeah. So I, I've kind of stumbled my way into like this information center. No people were in there. Um, but I, I ended up kind of digging through some stuff and I found a book that had a, a, all the sites listed. And it actually had um, the name of my grandma's uncle and his wife on there. And I'm oh, like, oh, shit. shit, that's awesome. Let's go check it out. My grandma's like overjoyed. We're walking to the grave, walking to the grave. We get there. It ends up being like our entire family's grave plot, Frank. Like, like a crypt. They're, yeah, they're, they're more like plots. It's not like we walked into anything, but the way they did it was like plots and they just all dig them down into there. But it, it was all her aunts, uncles, her grandparents were there, his other, like, the whole thing, bro. And like the emotion that came over my grandma when she saw that, because we had no idea that it was there. Mm -hmm. Blind luck, stumbled into it. The emotion that like overcame her when she realized like what she was standing in front of, a, a people that she had only met a few times because they lived in Bavaria their whole life, but had come over into America like once and met her, blah, blah, blah. But like just being with her roots like that, man, and, and it just like overcame and she was she was crying and it was like happy tears, but she was just so overwhelmed. And like that was such a good feeling. So, That's you know, dope, man. got to connect to the motherland a little bit more, dude. It was such a good trip. Um, we saw, we, me and Zach got to play golf at the foot of the Alps. That was really dope. 
Um, the views are incredible. What else we do? We went to the English Garden, which is like the uh, Munich's uh, Central Park. That was really cool. People are like surfing in there. Um, nice. The one thing we did that I thought was super underwhelming was in uh, in the center of Munich. They have the Glockenspiel, big cuckoo clock, you know. Uh-huh. So big attraction, huge Times Square. They only do it three times a day. So there's tons of people like right there in this heart of Munich. And it's the lamest shit you've ever seen, bro. Oh, really? So stupid. Yeah, just a big cuckoo clock. It. It, yeah, but like it's just like they wrote like for the first minute, it's just like music. And they're, the Glockenspiel is like that similar to a uh, like a keyboard kind of like a xylophone thing but you know the sound if you hear it it's like ding dong ding dong does that for like a minute nothing happens and then these little like wood characters just start to rotate like just in a circle they're not doing anything it's just they're going around i'm like in the 1500s that might have been probably a feat of engineering in in the middle ages man yeah right but when you go to new york city and see fucking the side of a building with some 3d creature that looks like he's jumping out at you or whatever Whatever. It's just like that is just nothing. I don't know. It was cool to see old building, whatever. But that was that was the one thing I'm like, all right, I probably could skip that if we came back. Yeah, for sure. But highly recommend. It's a, from here. It was like a nine and a half hour flight, and it's uh, beautiful, mostly countryside, right at the, by the mountains in the southern Germany. Probably and, best time to go in, in the late summer. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you can go see Oktoberfest, highly highly recommend that i but you know i would love to see it middle of the summer too i bet you it's really nice right now it was a little bit colder than it was like here in chicago like it was another 15 degrees colder there um a little more rainy too but beautiful land frank yeah brother that's that's awesome um i was talking with uh jacqueline earlier about um how we have this ranch in mexico Mm -hmm. and this ranch in mexico is still in our family's name my grandmother was born there um, you know, her parents, I don't know if they grew up there, but like, it's, it's deep, deep rooted in our family's history, this, this ranch in like the countryside of Mexico. And I was just, we were just talking, I was thinking like, how freaking cool is it that we're having a child and that child has a place he can go to trace his roots back mm-hmm. a few generations. Yeah. You know, you were talking about that. You were, you were, you were explaining that graveyard story. And I was, it, the first thing that came to mind was just like, man, it's so neat to have that, that history because even if we went somewhere to like Italy where my grandma's from or where her family is is originated um, before they emigrated to the United States you know what are the chances that we could find something like that graveyard um, certainly there's no like area where her family has or my family has any sort of land or property or ranch or any homestead where the family is continuing to live and the fact that we have that I just feel like it's so freaking special and it's hard mm-hmm. to explain but you understand it when your grandmother is sitting there crying, looking at her ancestors. Cause right. it's not even about the people themselves. It's, it's about the, you know, you're looking at the lineage. You're looking at what it took for you to get where you're at today. Yeah. It took those people. Right. And like for my grandma, she really only, only knew her mom, my great grandma who had, who had immigrated over here post-World War One, and, and just wanted, was very happy to be American and, yeah. she, you know, got home every few years, but it, it wasn't like she knew these people were well. So it was awesome to see her lineage in that way too, but to also like think about like to know that like her mom, my great grandma stood at, at this family plot. We also wandered a little bit further and found the the church that her family went to and, and right. right on the wall, they, they have these memorials because my great grandma's brother died in world war one and it had his name right there, right on the wall, George Visser. 
mm. as like a fallen soldier. And, and, and to just to know, like for my grandma to know that she's in the church, that her mom went to church. And when she was a kid like that, like, yeah, that's, that, that's it, huge. It, it was huge. And then the other thing with that graveyard, I, I don't mean to keep going on about it, but my plots, the family plot was right there about 15 feet over to the right. I kind of wander a little bit and I, I'm walking around and I look on the ground and there's the kind of these smaller graves. I see the German army symbol on it and I'm looking at it and it's a burial plot for World War II. Mm. And and th then you just get to thinking because it's like, I'm that's so cool. Like I'm so humbled. I got to see my you know, family's plot, blah, 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 blah. But then you think about it and it's like, right next to a Nazi graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> and and that is like my, you go into that same church where my uncle's name or where my relative's name was who died in World War One, and right next to that is a huge list of names of parishioners that died in World War Two. And I'm thinking, I'm like, all Nazis. And it's like, I have this feeling where I'm like really proud of of my family and my roots and, and my heritage. But then I walk 15 feet away and I'm looking at some of the worst people ever that ever walked the face of the world. Maybe not those specific people, but whether they were like ringed into it one way or another because of the circumstances or if they really were like Nazis and believed in the cause. But like either way, like that's that's a reality. So it's just it's sobering as fuck. Yeah. Man. You're an intelligent and an emotional man. So you can hold two truths at one time. And I think, sure. you know, you could still be proud of your heritage and acknowledge the atrocities because but, the, the pride doesn't come from the one singular event, it comes from the, the whole, you know, the whole picture. And if the reaction to what happened in Nazi Germany was pretty much any different than what it, than what it has been for, for Germans, then you might have a little less pride, but they took care of that shit pretty good. You know, like they, mm -hmm. they cut that out of, from what I understand, my sister spent uh, some time in Germany, I don't know, oh, like cool. a, a year or something like that, half a year. But yeah, she's like, dude, there's no mention of it. Like you'll, you'll be like, you'll be thrown out of wherever you are. If you're an asshole, if you start saying Hitler, or, you know, it's highly illegal, it. man. They'll, they'll is it, it's illegal. Up. Dude, that's yeah. another thing that I've, I found about Germans is they're, they are about their laws. They're a stern, stern people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a result of that or, or if that was ingrained in them long before that, but they're, they're <laughs> even to the point where the insurance place, we were talking to them and I looked into this before we went there, but like people, if you get into an accident, there's a chance you might have to buy someone a car. Like they take their cars extremely serious, mm. bro. Mm. And their laws, like if you are going five or 10 kilometers over the speed limit, you're getting a ticket. Like they don't even have cops that are pulling people over. It's all camera enforced wow. cameras all over that country. So they're just about their laws. They're, they're like structured, structured people. And so, yeah. yeah, if you, if you throw around Nazis, draw SWAT stickers, anything like that, that, um, you will be arrested and, and fined and yada yada. Yeah, so there you go. So, the, re yeah. the reaction is the is the key. That's a metaphor for anything in life. But you know, I, I would still be, you know, not super proud of what's going on in Mexico right now. But viva, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. it's in me. You know, you can't yeah, get rid right. of it. It's who you are. Yeah. You can't. And yeah, yeah. And I felt that very strongly this week. So that was yeah, that's cool, cool, man. Good for you. I'm happy you got to do that. I I I, I, I think uh, it's a uh, it's a privilege to to reconnect like that. Not a lot of people get the chance to do it, especially older generation who may have come from there or, right. you know, doesn't right now. My grandma is in Florida. Actually, I'm picking them up tonight. Um, and she's there to go visit her brothers, her brother, two brothers and, and sister-in-law and she's 97. Mm -hmm. And so 
uh, you know, the ability, like just the fact that she can get on a plane to go see them, you know, for probably what is the last time uh, in her life is, is incredible, man. Like, and, and just to go to Florida, not to go to Italy or go to back to the homeland. And I, th- I think it's such a privilege to do that. I'm really glad that you got to experience that. Yeah. I, and if you can make it happen with any family members in your life, I, I highly, highly recommend it. Cause it was, I mean, we were there with my grandma, my mom, me, and then, you know, and with Walter. So it's like four generations together experiencing it. And, and it dope. was just, uh, I don't know, I'm talking in circles, something I, I can't recommend highly enough to anybody. Connect right. with your roots, connect with your family. It's, There's your recommendation. We all, <laughs> we all come from many, many people and, and we're very all lucky to be here in America. Uh, but you know, most of the time we're, we're all immigrating from other places. So learn, look into that, learn more about that, do an ancestry test. I appreciate, you know, your heritage. That's end of the spiel. You bet. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Dude, families. Yeah, paid no attention to news or anything. Yeah, <laughs> the that's okay. I was there. So well, easy in today. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Blake Masters. I don't care what you think about Blake Masters, uh, but he's talking about one income families. Pick winners and losers. But what's a what's a clear uh, proven thing to do is nuclear power. Yeah. So like, why aren't we investing more in nuclear? while also being pro-drilling and fracking, right? That we can be energy independent again. I'm also talking about an economy where you can raise a family on one single income. Wow. You know, like we used to have that. We used to have that, we did. And then you could talk about what happened and it's decades of globalization and inflation, but you can't really do that anymore. And so why don't Republicans, certainly Democrats have abandoned the working class, they've abandoned the middle class, but I want Republicans to talk more about what can we do to make it once again possible to raise a family on one single income if the parents choose. Yeah. Right. I'm not telling anyone how to live their lives, exactly. but wouldn't it be nice to be prosperous enough to have one parent, you know, be the breadwinner and one parent stay at home? What do you think about that? I mean, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, for sure. But I don't know if we live in a world like that these days, uh, that that's as feasible. I, I'm, it's not impossible, but with the cost of living in places and. Well, let's separate the feasibility from it for, for a second. Okay. If you could, would you? Yes. Okay. Now here's the other question. If you could. Would you rather it that your wife stayed home? Uh, man, I, that is a conversation. I think that's going to be different for every single couple. In my, like in my case, I would love it if Sarah could spend every day with Walter. She's she's great with him. She's she's so good at teaching him stuff, and he loves her so much. That would be what's best for him. But other kids, you know, might have a strong, a more strong father figure where where that could be for the best. So I, I think that changes. Yeah, I mean, I think generally the like the mother is probably the the better the better of the two, if you're going to pick one or the other, right? Because of the, especially during the early stages, right? Like the kids, yeah. if they, if they, if they can, it's living off of the mother. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, like that, that to me makes sense, but it's just, it's just a, it, it's been a very interesting topic for me very personally because we're having a child, but even before I knew I was having a kid, uh, b- because my mom stayed home mm-hmm. with us and, and we made it work. I mean, I don't know that we were and this is before my parents got had, had, had split up, but uh, you know we were making it work, and and we were at home with my mom. I don't remember that, but but if it was anything opposite, obviously my life would be a little bit different. And I think it's I don't know. I think it odd. You you could you could zoom out and and you can look at the whole situation and you could say like okay, well uh, we we've uh, incentivized our women to go out and and to, uh, to and to be career women and to get jobs and to and to have a, have a career and to fulfill their life in that in this respect. And I think the one thing that we've lost in that conversation is what you lose in parenthood because if you have a two income family. 
it's really hard to go down to a one income family mm -hmm. unless for whatever reason, somebody gets promoted or you get a big giant job or this that, and the other. If you're both on a, on a, on a similar career trajectory, then it's really hard to say, Hey, we're going to remove this entire stream of income just so you can raise a kid. And then you put your kid in daycare. So then you work harder just so you can spend more money to not spend time with your child. And it seems to be like a little bit of a vicious cycle. And so I wonder why it is that we don't focus on that more. Why, why is it that our focus has shifted uh, uh, so that we're not focusing on a one income family and, and prospering from that perspective? I think one, the bit make the main one, biggest one would be the cost of living is, has increased greatly and, and inflation has increased greatly from the time then that was a prevalent thing in America. Like it's nowhere near to what it was in the sixties to where that's as feasible as a thing to do. I, I think that's probably, yeah, definitely more advantageous to do, especially for a young growing mind and just for a family unit in general. But I just don't think it's as realistic to do anymore. Do you think if you were to pull you know, may, may be able to find this out. If you were able to pull families, mm -hmm. what percentage of families do you think would say, if we could, we would do this on a one income situation? Say 45 to 50%. You, you would say half. Yeah, because I also you have like the the movement uh, the uh, that has changed since the 60s where you have more women empowerment and women want to feel like, they don't want to feel like they're just the person that has to sit at home make the deal, you know, take care of the kids, make the meals, do the laundry. Like they don't want that. They want to be a, maybe not a breadwinner or, but someone who's contributing or, or, you know, or the breadwinner. Like, I just think that they don't want to, to them, sometimes that can feel like a backseat and you can say, you know, whatever that tells you about what, where we are at modern, where we look maybe at the self in the career more than maybe the family unit in that regard. But I still think like women just are thinking differently about themselves and like their potential than being just like stuck to being a, a mom at home. And I, I don't want to mm. say it like that because mm. to me, that's like the best job you can have. Like, yeah. Why would you say it is, like that stuck? But I feel like, because a lot of women probably did feel like that way when it was all women that were always at home. Like you probably like that, that housewife mentality probably does start to make you feel a little bit stuck. Yeah, but this girl boss mentality also is a trap, I think, because it's not until you know that you're having a kid or you're having a kid till the the fulfillment of raising a child becomes apparent to you. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, at least for me, dude, if I had the option and Jacqueline was making, you know, 2x what I'm making, bro, cut me off. I'll stay at home. Yeah, 100%. Right. Because... To me, there's no career that's going to be more rewarding than being able to raise your child every day, teach your child every day, right? I, I think the the narrative is like, oh, you get stuck or, you know, a, a woman's place becomes only um, that of raising a child. And it, it's not, it's not the full, like the, like the, it's not everything that a woman could give to, to the world, but at the same time, it's, there's no solutions, right? It's only trade-offs. So if you're going to be, if you're going to be trading your, uh, raising the, raising a kid at home with having a career, then you're going to be exporting your child's rearing, right? Somebody else is going to be doing that for you in some way, shape or form. You might say, well, that already happens with school. You send them to school eight hours a day or five hours, six hours a day, whatever. Somebody's already raising your kid outside of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is I, I like what Blake Masters is saying here. I like the idea that we want to rein in a little bit, 
bring it back home a little bit, right? Uh, 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 narrow the umbrella of influence of our children just a little bit. It takes a village, right? Everybody needs to chip in and, 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 and help. And you're not, you're never going to be able to, um, you know, do everything on your own, but I love the idea of, uh, consolidating slightly what it means to raise a child so that it's slightly closer to home. Because I think if you had the idea, if, if our focus was, let's make it so that every family, if they had the option, could do this with just one parent working. If that was your focus, then everything else would, in theory, fall into place, right? But the only way you would change that is pay people more. You'd have to. Like, there's no yeah. other way or, well, yeah, or make things cheaper. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's right. great. That sounds awesome. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. But, like, in reality, we don't live in a world where, like, this dude can be like, you know, we just do this, this, and and we can do that. Like, you'd have to either make everything cheaper or pay people more, which would mm-hmm. make everything, if you pay people more, everything's going to get more expensive. Like, I, I just don't think, we've just gone too far with capitalism or whatever the hell it is to the where it's just not feasible to do that any as easily as it is anymore. You know? Yeah. I think present day it's not feasible. And, um, but, but, but I, I think it's important enough to, to try, to try and combat it. I, I, yeah, no, yeah. Maybe, maybe everybody out there doesn't, doesn't agree with me. You know what I think the best What's way to, to combat that is, is to look at maybe the first thing you could do is look at like the work week. Maybe, and what I noticed over when I was overseas in, in Germany, bro, every every fucking place is closed so mm-hmm. early compared mm-hmm. to here, man. And because their emphasis isn't on work and isn't yep. on putting your career first, it's on family or whatever the hell, it, it's on you. It's on, on the person to make the most of whatever they're doing. So maybe like the, I guess the first thing we could do towards this dude's thing would be, let's let's shorten the work week or make it four days a week or something like that to where you can still spend more time with your kid. You don't need to put him in daycare and spend that money and and focus more on the family. I guess that's, that'd be the first thing that pops in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, culturally, right. That's, that's a huge difference between us and Europe. I was having lunch with the president of our company and he was talking about how he went to uh, Italy for a few weeks for work and just everything is different. He goes, they uh, work to live and we live to work. Mm -hmm. And that's just what it is. And if, you know, it's, it's different, right? Because we're so much more prosperous of a nation, but the trade-off is, for example, the, the bill that passed last year that will make uh, uh, preschool free for, you know, however many people, right? On the surface, that's an excellent thing, right? But think about it. You have now subsidized preschool so that it's easier for you to Put your kid in preschool so you can go back to work. That's mm-hmm. the mentality, right? Like just passing that law is that that is what it's opening the door for. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or otherwise. Or you know, I, there's some people out there that would say that th- this is insidious because you know there's a there's a a force working behind the scenes that wants to to keep women in work because that's if we don't do that, then we will never be um, you know as productive as we need to be to continue on you know this that and the other. But but to, you know like like just those things on the surface that like oh that's great you know f- free daycare how many people would this help and it's like yeah true. But where's our focus? Where where is our focus culturally? And you're right, man. There there needs to be definitely a shift away from the the incessant need for productivity, and that's how you get this 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 uh, little phenomenon of of quiet quitting. Have you been he- hearing about this? Yeah, yeah, quiet. Yeah, yeah, dude. And and that's obviously not the right way to go about it. Don't qu- if you're if you're listening to this and you're pissed off at work, go have a conversation with your boss. Really, they are much more of a personable person. Than I think you give them credit for, even if they're an asshole. It's, and it's way better. Uh, it's a way better uh, uh, path to go than just freaking not saying anything and 
just waiting, withering away until like you get fired. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, but but that is that is the the product of an economy that and and a culture that only values productivity, only values the the hierarchy of, of moving up. And and that's good because then you have all the opportunity you need to better your life. Right. But again, there's no solutions. It's only trade-offs and your trade-off is less time. So that, yeah, let me hit you with the trade-off. So in, in today, like let's say you're, we're operating in today's world, nothing's changed. And you, like you're saying, you're about to have a kid. You're a hustler and bustler. I, I, let's say Jack ends up staying home, you know, with your, your baby and you end up being a one income family and, and you're doing your thing. Yeah. Is it worth it to you? Because you're gonna have to work longer hours, or, or you know, you're you're gonna be away more in order to be more successful to make the money to support everyone. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it to you to, for you to spend less time with Jacqueline and your your son, so that J- Jacqueline can spend more one on one time and raise the kid? Whereas if you put them into a, a, a you know had a nanny or put them into a preschool daycare or whatever, you guys could both work. 35, 40 hours a week, you know, you are spending some time away from the kid during the day, but you know, you're always together at night. You always maybe get to sit down and have a dinner. You're, you get to have that family unit more so than it's just Jack and kid and dad's out working. Maybe he'll be home by nine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a short answer would be yes. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and it was funny cause I was talking to Mitch about this last week when we were recording. Great podcast, by the way. Thanks. Thanks. Well, yeah, he's, he's the man. I, I love yeah. Mitch. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's great. Uh, he's, he's been a, he's been a guiding light of mine for pretty much my whole life, man. A really good dude. Um, but we were talking and I was saying like, it is innate in me to be a provider to not only this kid, but this family, right? Like it's something that is genetic. It's coded in me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you take the rug from right under me and you say, Hey, she's not working anymore. You have to now become the sole provider of this family. I saw him. Let's fucking do it. Right. And here's why, because especially in the early, in the early portion of this kid's life, he's going to be about his mother. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I'm irrelevant and I'm not saying I don't have a a role to play. I'm saying he's going to be about his mom. Right. Yeah, For sure. And so, um, when it comes time for it, you know, I, I, I know that there's going to be days where I'm going to have to prioritize uh, family over work, even when it doesn't make sense for work. Right. Absolutely. And that's where I'm, that's where I think the cultural shift needs to, needs to break where, where if you are that single and, and I, I, honestly, I think, I think that we're, we're getting there. I, I or, or at least we're, we're shifting forward to this where it's like, eh, it doesn't really matter from work. If it's about the family, I can, I can let this go. I can ignore this. I can fail here if it means that I get to coach my son's little league team. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's fine. And maybe other people do not have that, that same, that same, uh, viewpoint as me, but, but yeah, I absolutely, I'm absolutely willing to give up more time at home to make sure that his mother is the one that's raising him and not anybody else. And I think that sacrifice comes back tenfold later, later in life. Yeah. See, it's hard for me though, because we've we've put Walt into daycare at an early age, man, and the leaps and bounds we've seen him grow from other influences, and and like the advantage of him being around other kids and, and people at, at that young age. I also like kind of actually really am a fan of of daycare and having someone else mm, watch my kid. Interesting, because I feel like it's helping him with a lot of social cues and a lot of things that a lot of other kids that just stay home all the time don't get. Like if you, I feel like if you're not really interacting with other kids before like kindergarten, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 
you're, you're missing out on a lot of developmental shit that you need. Like your mom isn't going to be the only person that's going to, you know, that's going to be there when you're a real person. Like you need to know how to talk to other people and people that are dicks to you. Cause your mom's always going to be nice and loving to you. Like you need to mm-hmm. know how to deal with an asshole kid. And, and I, so I just feel like there are great advantages of putting him into a new environment around different people. Um, obviously I want to spend time with my kid. Like I, that's, I'm not saying that, but I think there are, there's two sides of every coin in that, in that regard, when you look at that and I obviously spending more time with your kid, how can you say that's ever a bad thing? Like, I, I'm not trying to say that, but I do think putting them into different environments at a young age and around other kids will definitely help them grow in ways that being at home could never. Eh, sounds like outsourced parenting to me. It sounds like you're raising a communist. But then, so you're going to have to homeschool your kid then. You bet. Honestly, I, I'm sorry. That's I, a weirdo, bro. That's tongue weirdo. in cheek. No, it's not. And there's studies, there's stu- <laughs> there's studies that say that that kids who have been homeschooled are actually far more uh, inclined to be uh, uh, socially respectable people than those who have gone through public school, uh, the mm. public school system. I I, I actually mm. have a really, really big gripe against people who say that homeschooling raises weird kids. I think that's completely false. And I say it tongue in cheek. I don't, I'm not going to homeschool my kid. But if we had the resources to, yeah, I think it'd be great. Why not? The only people I ever knew that were homeschooled, like homeschooled up until high school, were all very strange individuals. And how are they now? I couldn't tell you how they were now, because I, 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 I have not stayed in touch with them. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I had no, no, re, no reason to. They, they were, they, they just weren't adjusted. Maybe they got adjusted. I guess later it could happen. But well, we're we're talking about a, a uh, you know, we have the we have the, the options, right? The the choices here to mm-hmm. make these decisions. It's beautiful. I think we take it for granted. Uh, and and a, and a really good uh, example of that uh, is a woman named uh, Masa Amini. Do you know who this woman is? Mm-mm. Okay. She's an Iranian woman, 22 years old, and she died in police custody on September 16th and has uh, generated a firestorm of protests in Iran and around the world uh, for this woman's death and what this death represents. So back up real quick. If you don't know, Iran went through a Islamic revolution in the late 70s. They are a completely Islamist nation in every aspect. So uh, they take things like covering yourself up as a woman very, very seriously. Uh, there's laws against showing skin. There's laws against being gay. It's 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 the most conservative nation uh, or as, as conservative as a nation as, as there ever has been, right? They're very, very strict on dress code, especially women and wearing headscarves. So this woman, Masa Amini, refused to wear a headscarf. She just said, no, I'm not going to do it. She got arrested. She went into a coma in police custody and then died at the hospital later. There's not many more details to her death. Uh, So when that information got out, the protests erupted uh, all over Northwest Iran, where she was from after her funeral. And then it spread to the capital city of Tehran and other cities in in Iran and around the world. Students faced off with police over uh, freedom restrictions. There were people chanting death to the dictator, which is like, can't really do that in Iran. Like that's, that's big deal, right? Like they, this is the kind of place that takes a look at what each individual is doing and they police it on that level. Um, so there's not really like freedom of speech. You can't be doing all this. They, they, you know, the, the, I, I think some 17 people have died since these protests erupted and a lot of it has been, um, 
women who have said, yeah, enough of this shit. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wear this headscarf if I, if, if, if I don't want to. So I don't know if you've, you've been gone, but, but, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of these, these protests or any, any of their fallout from this, from this young woman's death. No, dude, I have not heard about this at all. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's a big deal now, whether it makes a large scale difference in Iran, I don't know, but it's interesting to see this go on, right? And valid, right? A very, very noble protest. Uh, If you look at pictures of Iran in in the early seventies, it looks like America. It's Mm. incredibly free. Women are dressed however they want. They're actually incredibly fashionable, uh, cars and, and, freedom, just freedom everywhere. This Islamist revolution happens and everything is just completely locked down. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like some shit from the handsmaid's tale and and isn't in Islam, isn't this very, a very religious state that would be driving most of these laws. Oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. So yeah. Yeah. Like, like real, like real life handmaid's tale for sure. Yeah. So like, this is a big deal and and this is garnering a lot, a lot of attention. Mm Mm-hmm. A couple of days ago, Italy elected their first female prime minister. Uh, I did see this. Have you heard about this? Yes. Not a peep from anybody. You want to know why? Well, I've I read some things about that lady that said her party. She's the first from her party in po- to be elected into power since Mussolini. Like, there's very strong ties from her, the foundations of her party to Mussolini. I don't know anything about that, but no? she did break a glass ceiling. Al. Yeah. She broke through. Okay. She persisted. Uh huh. Nevertheless, Al, she made it through. Why are we yes. not celebrating this woman? After yeah. all, she's a woman. Because she's conservative, probably would be my. Are guess. we not protesting against the, against the treatment of women in Iran? And Italy elects a prime minister who's a woman, and you couldn't you, crickets from everyone. I, I just the hypocrisy to me is just always so sweet. It's because she's very far right. She's like a nationalist. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. The the party that she represents is called the Brothers of Italy Party. Their roots come from post World War II neo fascist Italian social movement. Not everyone's neo fascist these days, Al. What does neo fascist yeah. mean? Let's see. I mean, let's see. If they have direct ties to Mussolini, though. I, I, we can't really defend Mussolini very very well. Well, you show me those ties. I don't know what the hell that means. It's the people like that were from his party. They started this party once once he was taken down. <laughs> so, I mean, there could be some right for some hesitation here, maybe. I could see it. Mussolini wasn't a good guy. This is Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney. You make it. You, you make the determination here. Please answer me these questions. This is about what we are doing here today. Why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There is a single answer to all these questions. Because it defines us. Because it is our identity. Because everything that defines us is now an enemy. For those who would like us to no longer have an identity and to simply be perfect consumer slaves. And so they attack national identity. They attack religious identity. They attack gender identity. They attack family identity. I can't define myself as Italian, Christian, woman, mother. No. I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two. I must be a number because when I'm only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. That's the reason why. That's why we inspire so much fear. That's why this event inspires so much fear because we do not want to be numbers. We will defend the value of the human being, every single human being, because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. And like it or not, that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God, country, and family. 
Those things that disgust people so much, we will do it to defend our freedom because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. That is our mission. That is why I came here today. Chesterton wrote more than a century ago, fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in the summer. That time has arrived. We are ready. Thank you. Uh, maybe a bit heavy-handed there, but I don't know. seems pretty re- uh, reasonable to me. No, I mean, I, I'm not sad to disagree with her point in that thing. I'm just saying the ties of her party are, aren't great. Okay. <laughs> so that's why it's Let not being covered. Let me see this, because I didn't hear anything Look about it. Look it up, man. Look it up. The, the people that founded the Brothers of Italy party, this is based off the Italian social movement, which was founded in 46 by Giorgio Almarente, who was a chief of staff in Mussolini's last government. It drew fascist sympathizers and officials into its rank following Italy's role in the war uh, when it allied with the Nazis and liberated and then was liberated by the Allies. They were a small right-wing party throughout the 50s and 80s and now have since gained steam. So, I mean, what she's saying isn't wrong. I mean, that, the point she was making there is great. And Donald Trump had great points, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like, right, right. You know what I mean? It's, but it's, it, it's like the Republican Party isn't tied to post-World War II fascists. So... I think that's probably, all I was saying is I think that's probably why you're not seeing it covered as much because she's pretty highly debated over there. But she won. So, I mean, Italy's got to be behind her. You know, maybe they're they're seeing something I'm not. I'm just reading reading headlines and and little blurbs. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I think there's there's some uh, truth to what you're saying that members of Mussolini's circle founded this party in the 40s. Apparently, she's distanced herself from, from that person. But I mean... If his, still representing yeah, the right, exactly. Yeah, you can't. How, how far can you distance yourself fr- yeah. from it? Also, probably something of note. Uh, she, she is opposed to gay civil partnerships. Um, she's opposed uh, immigration almost totally. So yeah, man, like conservative for sure. Now, again, fascism gets thrown around everywhere, and honestly, I don't. Th- I don't think the people who call people fascists understand what fascism is. Uh, especially, especially on the far left progressive agenda, because the tactics are as fascist as any fascist person that has walked <laughs> the earth. Um, but interesting to see, right? Like, uh, I don't, I don't really know. I know Italy has been in kind of some political turmoil for some years now and their, and their, uh, economy has not been doing great. And I know, I know that countries like, uh, Great Britain and Italy kind of reject this whole one European nation globalist idea kind of thing Mm -hmm. and the people have spoken so i don't blame them there man i wouldn't want to be part of one that sounds like you're we're working towards like a new world order yeah right like imagine i I mean i feel like it would be the same as saying like like one north america and having like a currency for all of north america and you know open borders between all of all all the countries in north all three countries in north North america it's ridiculous they couldn't be more different nations even with our similarities to Canada, like, dude, we're way different. Like, we're not nowhere near the same. So to like... Yeah, to, and to, look to Mexico, and then you have the cartel that can move freely however the fuck they want it. That'd be... Yeah, and to homogenize an entire land of people. I don't know. Without, but very interesting to see. Uh, also interesting to see where these Iranian protests go. Uh, because it seems as though this population, especially the youth, is ripe for some sort of revolution. And... and absolutely well like deserved revolution i think uh if you're a woman and you see everywhere else in the world where women have the freedom to at least wear their hair down well then you got to question what the hell's going on in my country and why is it that we do this 
And why isn't it that I have the freedom to go out? Why do I need my husband to go everywhere? Why can there be honor killings? Why did this young woman die because she didn't wear a head, a headscarf? All valid questions. And, and I hope, uh, I hope they get resolved with as little violence as possible, but I don't know that it's. And use it as an opportunity to appreciate where you are from. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Come on. Look at all the shit our women and anyone can do, you know, like we, we live, got tons of problems, but we can fucking do a lot of shit that a lot of other countries can't, man. So yeah, you bet. Um, okay. Let's talk real quick about the sports world. Cause there's a lot of shit that's going on in the sports world. We'll start with Brett Favre. This has not gotten nearly enough attention. The allegation goes that Brett Favre helped or requested that the governor of Mississippi redirect $50 million of welfare funds to build a volleyball stadium for Ole Miss, his alma mater, and where his daughter's going to school. Lawyers for the former Mississippi governor, Phil Bryant, said that Brett Favre never told uh, Phil Bryant that at least $5 million in funding for a roughly $7 million volleyball stadium at the University of Southern Mississippi had come from federal funds intended to aid poor families. Uh, so they're, they're fighting back. They're saying that this never happened. Uh, quote, the implication that Governor Bryant did anything improper concerning the USM Volleyball Center is an outright lie. Uh, the filing included exhibits showing text message exchanges between the governor and Brett Favre, who pushed for a new stadium for his alma mater. It states that Mr. Bryant first learned that Mr. Favre was raising funds for the new stadium in 2017, but Brett Favre initially never told him that he was seeking federal funds to pay for it. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't know what to think. It seems as though they're trying to like paint Brett Favre as like this really bad dude and he stole a bunch of money from welfare. Uh, yeah. It seems that there's a little bit of ambiguity to that. But to even be caught up in a lawsuit like this is why, why would, why would you go after Brett Favre if you didn't need to? Yeah. You know right. what I mean? This dude is probably just chilling at home in some fucking jeans, throwing the football in the backyard. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just filming Wrangler commercials and sailing off in the sunset. But, but when I first heard this story, I thought, who, who do we think Brett Favre is mm-hmm. that he has this much pool? That he could that he could redirect with just a phone call to the governor, redirect funds to go build a volleyball stadium, you know, and, and like and mm-hmm. like, are, are we just so cynical that we just assume nepotism is the case everywhere? Probably. I mean, I am. Yeah. I mean, he could have some pull in the city he's from. Big quarterback like that. I could see that, you know, but. So the uh, head of the nonprofit Mississippi Community Education Center, uh, her name is Nancy New. She worked really closely with Brett Favre. Uh, She pleaded guilty to charges, including bribing a public official and fraud. She also pled guilty to a federal charge of money laundering. Uh, Her son, who was involved in this as well, pled guilty to state charges in the scandal. uh, And both of them are cooperating with federal and state prosecutors. So this is like a a story that stems from an earlier story uh, because the... um, the executive director of the state's department of human services, John Davis pled guilty to federal theft and wire fraud conspiracy charges and multiple state charges relating to the misuse of millions of dollars in federal aid meant for poor families. Um, so it looks like Brett Favre was, so he started a company called Favre enterprises and received funds, federal funds. And then they paid back a million, 1.1 million of these federal funds for speeches that he never gave. And that seems to be the only thing they have on Brett Favre. I think it'll be all right. I think it'd be fine. But then you juxtapose that with Ime Udoka, (laughs) the the coach of the uh, Boston Celtics, who made the 
NBA Finals last year, and he's suspended for a season for having an quote inappropriate relationship with a Celtics employee. Now it's coming out that it could have been several employees, and he might have even got one or two of them pregnant. Oh shit! Okay, this dude was fucking Frank. It sounds like it because when uh, the uh, the Celtics owner, I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name. YWC White Wick Wick Grosbeck. I don't know. The Celtics owner said that the suspension came after the team had learned of a situation over the summer and brought in a law firm to conduct an investigation that wrapped up Wednesday. The owner said, quote, I personally feel this is well warranted and appropriate, backed by substantial research and evidence and facts. So I'm standing by the decision and Ime has accepted it and he's planning to move forward on this basis. I think any well-reasoned leader like this owner of the Celtics would be able to see between the lines of an employee-employee relationship, right? Mm-hmm. I think this this coach, his only direct report would be the players and maybe the staff. So if he's having relations with someone in the staff, that's that's probably not great. But it has to be so much more than that in order for them to publicly come out and say, we are we are suspending this guy for a year because of his sexual promiscuity without giving us all the details. It has to be right. You're not, Mm -hmm. you don't make that move as an NBA franchise. I don't think. No. Yeah. From when they looked into it more, the article I was reading the other day said that they, they saw more like unwanted texts he was sending to women there. Like I said, he supposedly got someone pregnant. So I, this dude is engaged to Neil Long, bro. Like, why is he doing Is he really? This? I don't understand. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I don't oh. know, man. Sex is undefeated, brother. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, damn. Uh, he yeah, up, man. I, I would be surprised if he's coaching the Celtics again, man. I think he's done. You think so? With that organization. Uh, I mean, to the finals. if this new stuff that's coming out is more and more true, I just don't see, like... He did take him to the finals, but I think that those bridges are probably burned, man. I think he, he's better on to move elsewhere. Yeah, just don't be so damn sloppy, man. Um, yeah. I mean, Adam Levine got caught, too, this week I saw, man. He got put on blast. Yeah. Well, whatever. He's married. Who, who gives a shit? <laughs> and then last, well, not lastly, but uh, the next story, man, there's a little, really big stories in sports. Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury owner Robert Sarver said uh, last Wednesday that he would begin the process of finding buyers for the basketball teams after an investigation into his workplace conduct prompted the league to suspend him for a year and fine him $10 million. So apparently uh, the NBA didn't have grounds to take his team away from him. So they fined him $10 million. And then behind the scenes, they said, Hey motherfucker, you're not welcome here anymore. Um, So apparently the, uh, the probe and the penalties come from an independent investigation that found Sarver had used a racial slur on at least five occasions when, quote, recounting the statements of others. So he's a secondhand racist. He made many sex-related comments in the workplace and treated female employees unequally, including commenting on their bodies and those of other women. The report says that he told a pregnant woman in 2008 that she would be unable to do her job after giving birth because she would be breastfeeding before backing down. So um, this is one of... 30 some odd owners of teams in the NBA. He can't be the only one. Yeah. And if he's not the only one, I'm not saying this isn't warranted or deserved. I'm just saying, why him? You got caught, man. Same thing that happened yeah. to Gruden. You think you know so? what I'm saying? Nah, Gruden guys. didn't like, get, that was a hit job. Gruden was a hit yeah. job. 100% hit job. I mean, he was still saying those things though. He got, I mean, it was a hit job and how it all came out, but like people like that should probably be removed from this 
this in this world now. Like you were talking with Mitch about, like it's a it's a new world. These people either need to reprogram or get the fuck out of here. And I think that those people that are not reprogramming are fine one way or the other are getting their way out of there. And I think this is just another example of that. Something really interesting that I was reading that came out of this story is that LeBron James, who just signed a extension to stay with the Lakers, I think for two or three more years, mm -hmm. he signed that over the summer. He's now approached them asking if they could, if he could get out of that contract because he has very high interest. He didn't know that this was going to be a possibility that he'd be able to buy the Phoenix Suns, mm. operate as GM and player and play alongside with his good friend, Chris Paul. Oh, uh -huh. interesting. So, yeah, there's if this actually does happen, LeBron and the Lakers are, are, are you know amenable. It looks like a LeBron could be trying to become a Jackie Moon kind of figure in the NBA, which would be kind of cool to see. I, I know you're not the biggest fan of him, but no, that'd be sweet um, to be like an owner GM player. Uh, yeah. Sounds like a disaster, but uh, it, <laughs> it does. That <dude>. <laughs> sounds like a disaster. Too many things to juggle, man. Yeah. Now here's why I think John Gruden was a hit job because Dan Snyder still has ownership of the True. of the commanders right True. And, and look maybe this guy sarver was like dude this is too much of a headache i've already made way too much money deuces i'm out of here y'all y'all can handle this bullshit maybe not i don't know i just think it's i just think it's odd i just think it's odd because it's like mm, you're, you gotta, you're an owner you of a franchise it's it's always has been and always will be a good boys club right you're not really trying to change that i mean Maybe you are if you're Adam Silver, but I don't think so. I just don't think so. I think you have to. I think the NFL and the NBA are realizing you have to because of all the money that's tied up in sponsorships from people. Yeah, maybe. And seeing like even just like the repercussions from like a Colin Kaepernick when all that shit was going on. And I think they're realizing like, okay, even if we don't give a fuck about racial equality, women equality, anything, like I don't I don't know what these dudes are thinking about. Like it's good for our brands, our teams, our money to be accommodating in this new world like you i feel like you have to you know yeah donald sterling lost his entire team for their racist comments but like dude like he was that conversation like it was blown out of proportion in, in a way but like we're that's that's where we live in now man like that's just how the world is and he lost an nba franchise because mm -hmm. yeah that's that's no small thing in america that's one of the most coveted things you could have well, it's coveted for, the, for yeah, because you, you make a lot of money. So, I mean, exactly. you could say he lost it, but he just cashed out. That's all he did. But like, that's what I mean. If he would have stayed and tried to keep running it, his franchise would have lost value because of all the money they would have lost in sponsorships and whatever else mm -hmm. in, in attendance, whatever you want to say, like the things that will happen as a result of that in today's world. And he said, yeah, like you're saying, fuck it, cash out now. I'm going to get out while I can and say, fuck it. Yeah. Not worth it. Yeah. Um, okay. So one last quick story. Uh, high drama in the world of chess. <laughs> I saw about this. Have you? Man. Yeah. So uh, world champion Magnus Carlsen has kind of taken the chess world by storm. Um, during one tournament where he lost to a gentleman named Hans Moak Neiman, he quit after just that one match, after losing just that one match. I don't know very much about t chess tournaments, but apparently that's like a big deal, right? He goes and plays this this guy, Neiman, again. He makes one move and then retires. Doesn't say anything. And so the whole chess world's like, what the fuck is this guy doing, right? He's trying to make, an, make a point. So finally, he's broken his silence and he says, quote, I believe that Neiman has cheated more and more recently than he has publicly admitted. His over-the-board progress has been unusual and throughout our game in the sink 
Sinkfield Cup, I had the impression that he wasn't tense or even fully concentrating on the game in critical positions while outplaying as black in a way I think only a handful of players can do. So what he's saying is like, I'm playing this guy. He is making moves that are ridiculous and his ascension to this point in his career has been um, incredibly fast, like very steep. Um, and I've heard, I don't know if you've heard this, but like, so apparently cheating is kind of rampant in chess right now because of the technological advancements and, and the ability to stop them has not progressed as quickly as, as the cheating has progressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like theories on how people get right away with it. The leading theory here is that this guy has a sensor in his asshole. I saw something in his shoe. He has vibrating, yeah, vibrating meters in his shoe. I heard, and this is completely hearsay. I'm reading Wall Street Journal and they don't say anything about anal probes, but I heard he has something up his butt. That's crazy. Because a shoe would be gonna... too easy to too easy to to uncover. Yeah. So the way they do it is they have a sensor connected to uh a chess a chess software somewhere on a fake you can put it on a phone, on a laptop, wherever. It's somewhere. And this software is basically making um, as, as many infinite chess moves as you could make, playing that out within a, a half of a second, and then providing the best option for a move. And it's sending mm-hmm. a signal somewhere on this person's body it, through, through some sort of, sort of code, right? Move this instead of this, or this, that instead of that. Uh, so this, this guy Carlson gets beat by this guy Neiman, and he's like, mm, it's a little weird. And he's been watching him. Uh, I guess this guy, Neiman, was caught cheating in an uh, online chess tournament. But we're talking oh. about uh, in-person. Um, so as, as, much, as much drama as you could probably ever find in the world of chess. Yeah. I cannot wait to see how this plays out, man. Because like, even then, like with vibrating, how do, you, how do you cheat based off vibrations? How do you know what piece it's telling you to use and what space it's telling you to move to? So, so it's a lot of ass vibration. Yeah, so like you're you don't make you don't make a grandmaster by not knowing how to play chess. So so Neiman has a, a really good idea about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. The issue is that if you're in a in a position, you're faced with a couple of different moves, right? So apparently the vibration is telling you that the best move, like let's say you get a vibration the three vibrations mean move your rook. The two vibration means move your pawn. The four vibration means move your knight. You know, wh- whatever it is. Yeah. So, so it's not telling you move this one here. It's saying your best move is to move this piece. And because you play chess, you know where to move that. That's kind of what it's saying. It's running through all the scenarios and saying, nope, move that one. Move this piece. Move that piece. And, it, and uh, yeah, man, I, I just, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's crazy. And to go, to go about it, this way at the highest level of any sport, but, but, but like we're, we're talking about the highest level of chess. How do you think you're going to get away with it? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How do you think yeah. you're not going to be getting exposed one way or another? And is it worth it? So you think you cheated? I mean, look, I, maybe, maybe he's a prodigy. So this Mag- Magnus could just be real salty that he lost. These chess dudes are intense fucking people. Yeah, they are for sure. <laughs> um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm reading through this article. I, c- I can't see anything. I can't see anything that 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 shows any more any more detail. Apparently, they've all kept this kind of close to their chest, and it was just now that that this guy Magnus Carlson was was saying that he thinks this, that he's cheating. He's been very quiet about it. He sent a really cryptic clip 
uh, online of a soccer manager, uh, Jose Marino, saying, if I speak, I'm in big trouble. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But yeah, he's 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 speaking out. He's saying, and, and I think he's saying, like, I'm using this guy as an example, but he is uh, representative of all of cheating and all of chess. And this is something that we need to address. Stat. Yeah. And yeah, if it is, you obviously want to address cheating at, you know, at the highest form of any sport. You bet. Well, before we get out of here, we got to shout out the boys over at Gun Barrel Coffee. Drinking a good, smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself. But when you can do that and help American heroes, it makes it that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our country. The way they do this is that they offer 14 different blends, which you can get in whole bean ground or single serve pods. And right now, as a friend of this ship, you can use the promo code FNH10. You'll save 10% at checkout. When you buy the products at GunBarrelCoffee.com, that is promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. You betcha. Uh, drop us a line, would you? Uh, on Twitter at FriendshipNH, uh, Instagram and TikTok at FriendshipNewsHour. Send us an email, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, review, rate, suggestions. Uh, mail nudes only uh, <laughs> suggestions if there's somebody you want us to reach out to and talk to any topics you want us to cover anything like that we'd love to hear from you 